0: One other announcement, and this may not have that much impact, direct impact on you all, but uh, November 1st, or excuse me, November 4th, gotta get my dates right, November 4th, which is the first Sunday in November, we are switching our service times in the morning. I'm gonna say this again, November 4th, we are switching our service times in the morning, not at night, just in the morning. We are going from 10 a.m. to 9 a.m. to 10.45. That's the first Sunday of November, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after the first Sunday of November, 9 a.m. and 10:45 a.m. Um, only in the morning, right? Just making sure um, so that you know that. Uh, some of you do go in the morning at 10 o'clock. You can do that for a few more weeks. And after that, you can show up at 10, um, but you're just going to be in between services and whatnot, which for some of you are like, I'll do that anyway. So um, uh, that'd, be, that'd be fine. So um, 9 a.m. to 1045. So here's what we need. Uh, we do need volunteers for the 10, uh, the 9. <laughs> there we go again. I'm already messing up. The 9 a.m. and the 1045. And so if that's something that you want to greet, you want to hold communion, you can hand out Bibles. Uh, you could do something. Um, you can read scripture. I highly recommend that you take an info card and say I would love to serve at the 9 a.m. Or the 1045 which starts the first Sunday in November. All right? Cool. Take out your Bibles. We're going we're gonna to continue our series in First Peter. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you meet me in First Peter. This is uh, week 5. Um, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and please keep it raised high. Uh, One of the guys will be able to get you your own copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the Bible that we hand out so that you can have a copy to read throughout the week and to grow. Um, Week 5 of the series, so far, uh, Peter has been talking about the gospel. He's called us to be a holy people through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, now Peter begins to transition in chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, primarily through 11 and 12, to talking about Christian ethics. But before he gets there, he establishes the truth that we are Christians growing together in community. I mean, gives us an identity before he calls us, um, essentially, from verse 11 on to the end of this letter. So for the next 10 weeks as we finish this series of what it means to live out the gospel. Um, Just a reminder, again, the original audience of Peter's letter were um, a group of Christians, which they were minority at that time. There weren't a lot of Christians. They were living in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, They're trying to figure out how do we live out the gospel in a world and a culture that does not believe in our God? How do we live out the gospel when people around us do not believe in Jesus? They are being persecuted. Now, the persecution that they were going through was not so much a physical persecution, but it was social. They were being pushed to the margins because of their belief in Jesus. And so that's what we pick up tonight as Peter continues to call the people of God to be a counter-community or to be counter-culture. And so three things we'll look at is that we are a community of worship with an identity of grace and a mission of service. So a community of worship, an identity of grace, and a mission of service. So before we get in that, um, would you guys bow your heads and let's ask God by his Holy Spirit to bless our time. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the words that we sing. We talk about how good you are, and how good you are to, to sinners. And Father, we thank you for this beautiful letter in which was written um, for us to understand and to learn who you are, what you've done on our behalf, and how we now, as your people, live in response to that. Father, you know every mind and every heart and every soul in this room, and you know exactly what people need to hear. And so, God, I ask that you would use me um, as an instrument, Lord, that your grace may be proclaimed. Father, we ask that you would distract us from our distractions or whatever it is that happened before today, whatever we have going on tomorrow, God, that we would be humbled by your presence. And, God, that your son Jesus would be glorified and honored. Father, we thank you for this moment in which we can open your word. Teach us, grow us, convict us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. I I don't know if you're anything like me, but you've been watching a lot of the the political debates and watching a lot of the commercials and uh, watching commercials in general, not just political debates. But what you see is um, I find myself asking the question, there seems to be extremes sometimes, not just in politics, but this guy is either a really good guy or a bad guy. Whether, not just the presidents, but any of the local officials. Um, one commercial will come on, this lady's the best lady in the world, and she's hugging babies and kissing people. The next commercial, she's the worst lady in the world. No one should vote for her. And I, and I always find myself asking the question, especially during, during the time of political debates, where do we fit? And when I say we, meaning Christians, where do we fit? And I'm not talking, are, are we left or are we right? I'm just saying, how do we live um, in this particular culture? Um, a culture that is all about extremes. And again, not just politically, but how do we take the gospel of Jesus Christ as a people of God, and how do we live? Because I don't feel like we fit. Personally, I, I have an issue. I don't think that I fit everywhere perfectly. And then when I read the scripture, I realize Christians are not supposed to fit. Um, we're not supposed to be removed from the culture. We're supposed to be in the culture, but never in a place where we just fit fine. Um, we're not supposed to blend in the culture. There's a, there's, we're not different than anybody else. We're supposed to be different. We're called apart. Um, we're called out. As Peter says, we're holy people, but not called away. And, but Christians are never supposed to fit. All you have to do is read about the one in whom we follow. When, when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, you see that Jesus never fit. In fact, Jesus says himself that foxes have their holes and birds of the sky, they have their nests, but the Son of Man, he says, I don't even have a place to live. That he himself was an exile, he himself was a sojourner. He left heaven, he was fully God, yet he was fully man. The people around him didn't like him. Uh, Even in the context of the three years of his ministry that we read, we see that Jesus himself was too conservative for the liberals during his time. Because he believed in a literal translation of scripture. He, he believed that there was one way for salvation. It was in and through him, through his work. They didn't like that. But on the flip side, he was too liberal for the conservatives because he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. Um, he loved to, to empower women. He didn't fit. And then when you see the original audience Of this first, this letter of the first Peter, you see, they were likewise. Meaning, the people who followed Jesus were people who lived in a culture that the gospel began to shape them, and because the gospel shaped them, there were some things about the culture that they liked, and the culture liked about them, and there were some things that they absolutely rejected. One of the best books to read about the rise of Christianity in the first century is a book by Rodney Stark called *The Rise of Christianity*. And one of the things that you see, a few things that you see about first century Christians, why they didn't fit, because they were completely different. Because they let not the culture or the ideology of the culture shape them, but they were shaped by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Just a few things that I I listed. One, they didn't fit in this way. They didn't um, participate in in the gladiator fights. Um, The the bloodthirsty fights and so they were considered antisocial in that sense Um, They didn't participate in the military because they didn't want to advance caesar's plan to just dominate the other countries Um, They didn't participate in abortion or infanticide and in the roman culture It was totally okay for you to have a baby And if you didn't like the particular sex of that baby, you can leave the baby on the side of the road for the baby to die In fact, what Rodney Stark talks about is how Christians came alongside and scooped up those babies. Um, One of the pagan writers at that time talked about how the way, meaning those who followed the way in Jesus, that they nursed these babies. Um, There were people who um, their their ideal of sex was different because they believed that sex in itself was best enjoyed between a married couple. that, That sex outside of marriage wasn't the best way to enjoy sex. And so people around said, that's weird. That was first century. People don't think that anymore. All right, um, there, 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 there was a sense where same-sex attractions and intimacy—they, they thought were—that was not what God's plan was. And even then, in the first century, people thought that was weird. They empowered women. And leadership, in ways that the culture around them didn't empower women. They radically served the poor. They mixed the races. Um, races did not mix at that time. So within the Christian community, they had Jewish people, they had Ro- Roman people, Greek people together in community, hanging out with one another, sharing bread with one another, which eating was the most important way to say we are one with these people. They were completely different. And, and like I said before, some things of the culture the gospel will affirm in every society and every culture and there'll be other things about the culture that the gospel will critique no matter what culture what race no matter where you're from there are some things because of God's common grace it will affirm even now like even some of the things that I listed there there are some people on one side would go I really like that I really like the fact that Christians are are against abortion. I really like that Christians have an understanding that sex belongs within marriage and and, and that sex in itself should be um, heterosexual. They like that. That would be more of a conservative side. But on the flip side, you have maybe a more liberal side would say we love the way that they empower women. We love the way that they pour themselves out for the poor. We love the way that races get along and they like that. Even certain religions, traditional religions, even in our own culture, they would say, we like the way that, that you, you're, the way you guys view sex, we like that, that's consistent. But we don't believe in this whole turning the other cheek. Whereas if we taught that on ASU's campus, they would say, we love the way you mean turn the other cheek and love your enemies, we love that. But the way you guys view sex, that's so regressive. We, as Christians, because we follow Jesus who did not fit, he didn't fit to the point that they killed him. No one liked him. Even his own people rejected him. Because we follow that Jesus, um, we will always find ourselves within the culture to be a light, to be a witness, but we'll never completely fit. Socially, morally, spiritually, that's not our role. Our role within culture is to be a witness of who Jesus is. Um, That is the same context, which our context is not that much different from Peter's. Um, The times have changed, but some of the same issues. We as Christians are trying to ask the question that Francis Schaeffer asked in his book, how then shall we live? And so Peter writes this letter to show us, in response to the gospel, how should we live. And so for the first part of our, our, our time tonight, in Peter 4 through 12, Peter gives us a picture of a community of worship. And as I said before, an identity of grace. And finally he gets to the imperative, meaning we should be a people, our mission should be a mission of service. He starts with the community of worship, verse 4. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter is saying. As you come to him, a living stone. um, This living stone, he's talking about Jesus. Um, It's important to note that the word stone here is not the same word that that Jesus gave for the name Peter, which meant rock. Um, This stone was, the language here is a stone like a cornerstone. And the cornerstone was the most important stone in a building. Because if you got the cornerstone right, everything else that was added to it would be perfect. If the cornerstone was off, everything else would be off. He's saying this cornerstone was rejected by men, but yet in God's sight, Jesus was chosen and precious. His assumption, again, is saying now that you come to Jesus and you are building, building your entire identity, the way you do work, the way you do politics, the way you do relationships on Jesus Christ and on the gospel, um, on his life, death, and resurrection, as you come to him, he says, you also, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The imagery that Peter gives here is that imagery back to the Old Testament, which Peter often does, especially in this letter. Um, it was that of the temple. The temple was a place of worship. The temple was a place where the priest would go in and offer sacrifices. The temple and the tabernacle was, was a place in which God's presence dealt. Um, it, was very, it was material. Now what he's saying now and the continuation of God's redemptive plan to save the world, not working through a temple, now working through God's people. He's saying you now have the Holy Spirit within you. That, that the Spirit of Christ now has been poured out on you. And now you, in response now to this living stone, are like living stones. So far in this letter, Peter has been talking to us as individuals. Um, The rest of the letter, he talks to us as a community. Right now, Peter is saying, if we're going to be a counterculture people, the first thing we need to understand is that we are a community of worship. And by a community, meaning you will not grow as a Christian apart from the church. He, he, he's saying he's not saying you individually the you now is he's saying plural meaning God is are, is taking individuals He saves you personally you come to know Jesus have a salvation with Jesus as an individual But you're called to himself to himself now to be a part of a church to be part of a biblical community It is what God is doing now um, in this stage of his redemptive plan to show forth his name into the world And so if we are going to be a witness to the city of Tempe It's something we have to do collectively um, here's what I mean. When I um, was I grew up going to church. I hated church. I didn't like anything about church, other than when church was over. Right? Um, the guy who was preaching all the time, I never understood anything that he was saying. He was my grandfather, which that was weird. Um, didn't didn't like it. So when I went to college, the best thing about moving away from California to college was that my mom didn't live there anymore. So my mom called, Did you go to church today? Oh, I was gonna go, but it closed. Right? I had all types of excuses why I didn't go to church. Never went to church, right? And so finally, when God decided to open my heart, I wasn't saved um, or became a Christian at a local church. I wasn't at Grace Community or Vital Impact, like everybody else was going. At that time I I happened to be led to the Lord Through a parachurch ministry And parachurch ministries Are are ministries that are usually uh, specific So you have Young Life You have Crew Um, The particular ministry That I was saved through Was Fellowship of Christian Athletes Um, And it was a uh, fellowship Of um, Christian Athletes Right So the name was for there So the, the guy who was our Football chaplain at the time Big huge guy Was a great dude Would always share the gospel with me Before I became a Christian Thought the guy was great So finally when I became a Christian I just start going to FCA and it was great. They gave me a Bible, first Bible I ever had. It says God's plan. And it had all these pictures of athletes on it. I'm like, this is amazing. I didn't know football players are in the Bible. They're not. Uh, and so there's there pictures of athletes and, and just whatever. It was, it, was, it was good for me at the moment, right? So I would come to these Bible studies. And then he said, hey, we're going to have a Bible study with men at USAG. And I thought that'd be great because I want to get to know the word. No, protein pancakes, right? And so I started going to USAG to have this Bible study. And finally he said, hey, if you guys are going to grow you got to be a part of the church. And I'm thinking, I've already been the church plenty of times. I know exactly what church is like. This is church for me. And he goes, no, absolutely not. This was a means to introduce you to Jesus. And now if you're going to grow in Jesus, you have to become a part of a church. And I went through that painful process that some of you guys are on now of trying to find a church that I would want to be a part of. And I found the church and I began to grow. And I began to grow because I was around people who were not like me. I mean, at the time, it was only just me and a bunch of other athletes. And sadly, I wasn't even in college anymore, and I graduated. So technically, I wasn't an athlete, I wasn't in college. I was just showing up for the pancakes, right? No church had given protein pancakes like that. This was God-honoring, right? And so I, I, I start going to a church, and I start being with people who are older than me, people who are younger than me, people who, who act different than me. We, we began to come to the Word of God together, and I learned more about who I was as an individual. Here, here's what I'm saying. As good as your private time is with the Lord... It's precious and you need it. What's more important is that you fellowship with other believers. What's more important is that you are doing shared life with other believers. You will not understand who you are to the fullest as an individual apart from a biblical community. Um, You will not grow as an individual apart from not just attending a church service, but being fully a part of a church. Peter is saying the way that God is building his spiritual house is by taking a people collectively. C.S. Lewis describes this best in his his book, Four Loves, in in the article on friendship. Um, He talks about the importance of having other people and what other people bring out in you. Um, Just to paraphrase, he talks about the inklings. And the inklings were C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, another guy, Charles. And he talks about when Charles died unexpectedly. As bad as that would, he he thought, well, at least I'll have more time with J.R. now. Because now that Charles is gone, now I have more time with J.R. But he realized, I actually know less of J.R. now that Charles is gone. Because there was a particular part of JR that only Charles can bring out. There are certain things that he did in his personality that brought a different side of the personality of JR. Now that Charles is gone, he goes, I have less. And he begins to sing, it's the same way when it comes to knowing God. The less of the believers that we have collectively meeting with one another, the less that we understand about who God is. Meaning God himself is, he's comprehensible, we can know him, but he's not fully comprehensible. I mean, throughout eternity, we're going to constantly be getting to know who God is. And so now, as we look at the scripture together, you need my personality, and I need your personality, I need your background, and you need my background, that we can look at God's word. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, um, he says, For every soul, seeing him and inner her way, doubtless communicates that very unique vision to all the rest. That, says the old author, is what the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying out, holy, holy, holy. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says that we, being the saints, those who were sinners but saved by Jesus Christ, need to, with all the other saints, um, saints that have gone before us, Um, Saints that will come after us collectively and and the the least mature and the most mature together to look at God. And then, Paul says, we will begin to know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Peter is saying a community, it's only going to take a community. Um, And this community is not just any type of a community, but it's a community that's built on the identity and the personal work of Jesus Christ. And it's a community of worship. It, here's what he means by worship. Continuing in verse 5, it says, We are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Meaning, the church, those who are being built up, those who by faith believe in Jesus Christ now, are the offer sacrifices. Now, Peter again reaches back into the Old Testament and talks to a, a group of people who were primarily non Jewish people. Um, and what he's saying is, sacrifices, when you read in the Old Testament, sacrifices, the priest would go daily. Daily, daily offering, grain offerings, and cereal offerings, and blood offerings, and guilt offerings, and praise offerings. And essentially, the offerings boiled down to two things. Um, There were sacrifices for guilt and sin, and there were sacrifices for thanksgiving and praise. Now, Jesus, being the true and perfect lamb that we talked about two weeks ago, has now given the ultimate perfect sacrifice for the guilt of our sin. And so now we are guiltless. The sacrifices that we have now are sacrifices that are made to God for thanksgiving and praise to what he's done on our behalf. And these sacrifices are acceptable to God when they're done in faith. When the New Testament talks about sacrifices, one is sharing with other believers, um, others is encouraging people. Paul says it best in Romans chapter 12. He says to offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Meaning all of life is worship. So what that means is what you do from Monday through Saturday is the most important thing you can do to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Um, as good as it is to be here on Sundays, to be encouraged, Monday through Saturday, the bulk of your time and your relationships and your work and your friendships and your recreation, whatever it is you do, do it unto the Lord. It's the reason why we say all of life is all for Jesus. There's not one square inch that Jesus is not redeeming of our lives. And therefore, as people, uh, worship in itself is everything that we do. Um, It's more than just singing. It's more than just reading God's word. It's living out God's word and daily activities of our life. Peter's saying this is what it means to be a witness. This is what it means to be counterculture, to have a community, to be a community that's placed and based on Jesus Christ and a community of worship that when you go to work tomorrow, well... Some of you won't go to work tomorrow because Christopher Columbus, right? We all remember him, right? So some of you won't go to work. When you go to work on Tuesday, um, you're there to be a witness of the Lord through sacrifice. So whether you're writing a paper, whether you're making copies, or whether you're feeding your baby, or whether you're skipping work, I don't know what you're going to do, right? It's something that you do unto the Lord, and that's a worship. That's what God's called us to do. And this community of worship, again, is built upon Jesus, but not everybody will be a part of this community. Um, Not everybody will believe in this rock And not everybody will believe in this living stone Here's what Peter says Continuing in verse 6 For it stands in scripture Behold I'm laying in Zion a stone A cornerstone chosen and precious Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame Talking about Jesus Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame So the honor is for you who believe But for those who do not believe The stone that the builders rejected Has become a cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter takes quotes now from Isaiah as well as from the Psalms. Um, at that time, particularly talking about the religious leaders that would not believe in Jesus. Now, now he's applying it to everybody who would never believe and people at this moment who don't believe. And he's saying that the stone, um, when it says that they rejected it, it means that they picked up the stone, um, namely Jesus, and they examined it and thought, I'm not going to build my life on this. Where it that the Christian, man or woman, has looked at Jesus and has seen the gospel and has seen, as God has seen Jesus, that he is precious. And that the person who does not believe says, I, maybe he's a good religious leader, one of the most influential people in the w- history of the world, good teachings, not Lord and Savior. And it, it says they've looked at him and they rejected him, and so they built their life off something else. It doesn't mean that they're evil people. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. Um, It just means that they have not received and believed upon Jesus Christ. Therefore, their identity is not based on the personal work of Jesus. And and that's that's hard to teach and it's hard to see. But but what Peter is trying to do in this message right now is, again, he's encouraging people who live in a culture that, that are being ostracized, being pushed to the margins because they believe. And he's not saying by any means you're better because you believe. He's not saying that you're better than the people who don't believe he says never act like that the gospel should always humble us Here's what he says and continue in verse 8 It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do And that word destined there speaks of god's absolute sovereignty Meaning at this moment some of you in this room have never believed upon jesus christ Um, That this does not surprise god And the reason why this comforts Peter's original audience is because they're looking at people, ridicule them, and they're wondering, why is this happening? And Peter points them back again in this letter to Jesus himself, who was ridiculed, Jesus himself, who was rejected. And then now points them to the sovereignty of God and saying, this does not surprise God and it should not surprise you. Jesus himself says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And some people, our friends that don't know Jesus, they don't hate us. They wouldn't say, we hate you, but they don't necessarily believe in the truth. Um, The last thing that we should do is build our identity and what we're not. Meaning, if we're a community of worshipers, the only way that we have become a community of worship is not because of the family we grew up in. It's not because we were most likely to become Christian. I I shared with you my story. I became a Christian not because I was looking for God. Clearly, God had them been looking for me and he found me eating pancakes, right? And so there, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a sense here where Peter is saying he's not saying anything bad about unbelievers. He's saying up until this moment, they have not yet believed, and this is not something that frustrates God. But here's what he says about us. It's never something that we should be proud of. and never something that it should, we should boast in that because we were not saved by something that we did. We did not become a community of worshipers because we were most likely to become Christians. But what Peter says is now our identity because we're a community of worships in in Jesus Christ came because of grace. Look look at verse nine. He says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. If the Jackson here, he's saying, here's now he's speaking of your identity of grace. And these are privileges He says you are a chosen race And that word chosen there is the word election Which most Christians when they hear that They freak out Because either they don't understand election And they don't like it Or they do understand it And they still don't like it Um, What what, what Peter is saying here Has nothing to do with you were most likely You have to get this Election is always spoken through grace And it's always spoken through love We, We become Christians because of God's grace What Peter is trying to do Is humble us by God's sovereign love um, in fact, when the, the passage that David read earlier, one of my favorite passages in Scripture talking about election is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. What, what um, Moses says there, speaking from God, God says, you of all people, speaking to Israel. He says, I chose you, not because you were more in number, not because what you can do for me. He goes, but I, I chose you um, because I loved you. Meaning, I loved you because I loved you. We, we have our identity in Christ Because of grace, God's undeserved gift to us. There's no way that we can look around the people around us, even though they ridicule us, even though they make fun of us, and look down our noses and think, ha, but at least I'm a Christian. No, never. I'm chosen race here. The word race there, or if you have an NIV, it says nation, but the Greek word there is ethnos, meaning you are a new race. Not that when you become a Christian, you forfeit being African-American or you forfeit being Asian-American or you forfeit being white American. Right? Yeah. Not that you, 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 for, you forfeit any of those things. It's saying you're still those things, but yet it's something different. It's something by God's love. And the rest of the language that Peter's here, this identity of grace, is an identity of what God has done, not what we have done. Um, Peter is encouraging his readers. This identity of grace, he goes on to say, not only are you a chosen race, but Peter says that you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. It, he's completely taken now from Exodus 19. Um, Exodus 19 is right after the Exodus, after God had rescued his people out of the hands of Pharaoh. He has done the great redemption in the Old Testament. And then in Exodus 19, he begins to um, to tell his people who they are now. He doesn't say that you are a priest, meaning individual. He's speaking again corporately, that you are a priesthood of believers. And just as an understanding of what the priest used to do in the Old Testament, the priest was a person um, who came from a lineage, um, particularly the, the the Levites, and they would be priests, and they would mediate between God and the people. And then the most holy priest so the high priest himself would be able to go into the temple and the holy of the holies, and he'd have to bring offerings for himself, offerings for the people, and he'd be able to, to kind of approach God. And he says now, the author of Hebrew lets us know that Jesus now has torn that down as the ultimate sacrifice, and now we don't need one person to go to God. We as a people go to God collectively. And that now the church, again, God's plan for the world, Through the work of Jesus, now it's for the church to be mediators between God and the people around us. Meaning, wherever you work, you are representing God to that industry. Whether it's banking, whether it's finance. Um, If you are a student at ASU, you are representing God in your particular major and to the people that are around you. Um, Yes, proclaiming his excellencies, and we're going to get there. But also demonstrating what the gospel looks like in that particular industry. That is an identity of grace. That's something that God did. Again, that should be something that warms our heart. And then Paul, or excuse me, Peter also says that we are a holy nation. And he says that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Meaning when we get grace. If we're a community of worship, we're worshiping together, we're eating together, we're doing life together. We understand that the difference between us and our unbelieving friends is grace that God has shown us his love. And we're praying that he would show him that same love to those who have not yet believed. And that we have this identity of grace that we've been set apart, not away, within the culture to be a witness to the culture around us. In that moment, we proclaim his excellencies. That we become people that begin to share with others what God has done on our behalf. When you read sociologists and historians and anthropologists and how they talk about religion, primarily when they talk about Christians and Christians encounter um, within the culture around us, there's usually two different types of groups. Um, One group they would describe as a group that separates themselves. Um, People who put up all sorts of walls, they're very, very, very exclusive. The only way to be a part of that community is to believe exactly like everybody else, look like everybody else, and they separate themselves from the culture, and they pit themselves against everything in the culture. We're not them. We're not like them. We're losing everything. We're losing everything. We need to stay together. Or on the flip side, he says, what people do is they have no walls. You don't have to have any beliefs. And so they become to look exactly like the culture around them. Um, These these are people who write about them. In fact, the best way to describe this one is I have a friend of mine who's agnostic, doesn't believe in God, and was watching Oprah and a particular uh, minister from a particular denomination that I I won't mention just to down that, um, was saying, hey, if I ever became a Christian, I'd be a part of this particular church. And I said, why? She goes, because they believe and act the same way that I do. I think it's awesome. I'm like, no, that's not the point, right? Right. Um, What Peter is calling us to is not to separate holy does not mean being set away And at the same time he's saying that there are that we There has to be a a sense that we need to be inclusive But not to the point that we lose our understanding of who Jesus is But he calls us to be completely different and that is only what grace does Grace lets you know that you can't sit over here by yourself because it's too good. You've got to proclaim the excellencies. So you have to live around people. You have to work in, in secular places to proclaim his name and to live out the gospel. And yet, because grace has confronted you in your sin, you understand that there are moral absolutes. And therefore, you can't just completely take all the walls down. So, but it has to be not something that's defined by culture, but something completely that's surrounded and defined by the personal work of Jesus. And that's what we're trying to be as a church. That when we get this identity of grace, that we live it out and its hard. It's murky. You're constantly asking, should I watch this movie? Should I not watch this movie? Should I date this guy? Probably not. Or should I date, should I date this girl? What, what, how, do I, how do I live in this life? It's not, there's not a handbook. You know, the Bible doesn't give us um, direct guidelines for every single thing. Should I be a Raider fan or a Niner fan? Raiders. And so whatever, whatever, whatever it is, we're, we're trying to figure out. And those are just jokes. But there's harder things. Who should I vote for? Who should I not vote for? Um, how do I live this life? If we can just center around grace, the reason why grace is hard and have an identity of grace is grace makes you trust in the Holy Spirit. On one side, if you have too many rules here, extra biblical rules um, that you can can easily fit in that community, you know exactly what to do, but you don't have to depend upon the Spirit. Or if you're too far over here and there's absolutely no truth, no, no morality, no absolutes, you don't have to depend upon the Spirit. But if you follow Jesus and you realize that you've been saved by grace and grace alone, you realize that your entire life has been given up to him. That's the people and who Peter writes to. And by God's grace and his Holy Spirit, that's the type of people that we're, we're called to be. Peter says that we are people who were not a people, he says. Meaning our identity that first and foremost by birth, we were not a people. Read me in verse 10, he says, you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Peter, again, alludes to the Old Testament here, the story of Hosea. If you don't know the story of Hosea, you really should read it. In fact, I'm waiting on someone to, to, to make a movie about Hosea, a nice Christian movie, which is like an oxymoron, I know, but a, a, a movie. Um, Hosea was a man who was a prophet who God called to marry a woman named Gomer. Not too many people naming their kids Gomer these days But it was a woman named Gomer And this woman, God knew Would leave him and run out on him Using biblical language here Would whore herself out to the men around And God did this um, to be a physical representation Of what the people of God were doing to him And so God, when you read this story You just see this man, Hosea Pursuing this woman over and over again And her just leaving him And it comes to a point where now she has a kid And and the text in in Hosea chapter 1 Alludes to that it's not his kid and, and, and he has that kid, and God says, name the kid, not mercy. And then he has another kid, and he goes, name this kid, not my people. And then God says, this, this is a picture. Right now, because of the way that you were acting, you were, you were shown no mercy, and you're not my people. But then God says in, in Hosea chapter 2, that one day, those who have been shown no mercy, and those who were not my people, will become my people, and they will be shown mercy. What Peter is saying is that's now fulfilled in Christ Jesus though we were like the people in Hosea, though we are, we are spiritually like Gomer, that we whore ourselves out to the things around us, God himself says, now you have been shown mercy. You who were not a people are my people. So he wraps it up, not just a community of worship, but an identity of grace, an identity that trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And Peter, Peter wraps this, this, this last part up, talking about our mission. He finally gets to an imperative. So, so far, everything's been privileged. Uh, you are a chosen race and a holy priest. This is privilege, and yet it's a counter privilege. meaning a counterculture is something that's different. Um, in our culture, when you think of privilege, what you usually have is entitlement. The higher that you get in an organization, the higher that you get in a company, you don't have to do certain things. And yet the gospel says, no, no, we turn that upside down. The higher you're called to the Lord, meaning the more that you understand God's grace, the more that you're called to a mission of service. The more that you understand who you are in Christ, the more you realize that you've been completely satisfied in Jesus. And now the way you respond to that and loving God is pouring yourselves out for others. Here's what Jesus um, Jesus says this too. But here's what Peter says right now. Peter, Peter, Peter says in verse 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's saying, when it comes to service, when it comes to a mission of service, there's one thing that will get in the way. There will be one thing that will get in the way of us being a faithful witness into the city around us. Um, it's not the culture. It's not who's the president or who's not the president. It's not about the laws. It's not about any of that. Because the one thing that will get in the way is you and me, our sin. The thing that's gonna get in the way, he says, here it is, um, because you will not serve if you are constantly um, loathing yourself in sin. Because here's what sin does sin makes you selfish. Sin turns everything that you have on yourself. It's taking your money and making it about you. It's taking your free time and making it about you and what you need. At best, maybe the people around you, maybe your family. But you're definitely not looking to God and saying, I have this time to serve others. I have money to use this money to steward, um, to serve others. I, I have all these gifts and talents to serve others. The reason why God has me at this particular job is not just to make money, but to serve others. Sin, sin in itself will wage war against you. Um, Sin, even though you're a Christian And you have a new life Sin will constantly tell you Look at you, look what you have They don't understand Um, What what Peter is talking about here When it says desires Meaning we will have desires Which desires themselves are not the issue It's when desires go wrong It's when desires now bent towards The things that are not of God And he's saying this is going to happen Every single one of us, me, you We all are going to have the proclivity to bend some way it's usually taking a good thing and making it a main thing. But what it does is it sucks you dry because it makes you constantly look at you. How can I be satisfied? Do you realize you'll never be able to satisfy yourself? And there's nothing in this world, there's no desires that can satisfy you. No matter what your desire, or you think about it. Think about the times that you do sin, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, um, whether it's materialism, consumerism, no matter what it is, it never works. It never, it never fills you, especially for the believer, for the person here that believes in Jesus. Because you know, after it's done, you go, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep doing that? Because you were, ne- you, were you were, you were created. You were, you, you were brought into this world with the cavity in your heart. But the only thing that will ever fit that is the love of Jesus Christ. P- P- Peter's saying, don't let those things control you. Um, those things will wage war. But instead, verse 12, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitations. He, he's saying your actions, our actions as a people um, matters. Sometimes we, we just as Christians, and especially Christians in Tempe, um, in Arizona, we want the bare minimums. Meaning all I need to do is just to believe in Jesus Christ and I'm forgiven past, present, and future. That's fine. And we think our actions don't matter. Uh, when I say we want the bare minimum, we want things to be easy. Just believe in Jesus, maybe show up a couple Sundays a month, and that's good. We, we want things easy. It's the reason why most of us live in Arizona. Arizona is one of the easiest states to live. I know we're just getting out of the summer, but it's still, it's cheap. In fact, um, the Arizona Republic said that Arizona, not Arizona, Tempe, Arizona, is the third place, best place to live uh, with a combination of fun and affordability, right? Like New York's fun, but no one can live there. Like, Tempe, third place place. And the third best place, I thinking, wow, that's amazing. You know why? It's cheap, right? You don't even have to do your grass, you don't have grass. You have rocks, just think about it. Um, I, I grew up in California and my friends are telling me what they're paying for their houses. I'm like, you're an idiot, you should move to Arizona. It's easy, bare minimums, right? Just, just get in. Um, we, we take our faith that way. I have Jesus, that's it, I'll wait till he comes back. And Peter's saying no. Not just believing in Jesus matters, but also living out a life that matters. In fact, he puts so much weight on our conduct. Again, corporately, redemption Tempe, he puts so much weight on our conduct, he's saying the people in Tempe that don't know God now will come to know him by the way that you live, by the way that you speak, and by the way that you act. Meaning the eternal salvation, the weight of people, is on not just the way you share the gospel, but the way that you live it out. That's heavy. He's saying even people who will say bad things about you, even people who will ridicule you, if you continue to live faithful to the gospel, there will be some who earlier were destined to not believe will now believe because of our actions if we believe the gospel. If we see God and the love that we have for Jesus and pour ourselves out radically for the people around us. That's what the church is about. The church is the only institution that doesn't exist only for its members, but even for those who are not its members. It's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus left the comforts of heaven. He didn't have to. He came to a place. Remember, we said this earlier. No one, no one liked him. He was a reject. The worst thing in the world is to be rejected by the people who are the closest to you. His mother rejected him. His father rejected him. His friends rejected him. The whole world rejected him. And he goes to the cross. Meaning, that's the same life that he's calling us to. Not selfishness. That will be to give in to your desires. But selfless, sacrificial love. The only way that we'll be a community of worshipers and really understand what it means to have an identity of grace and to have a mission of service, the only way we will truly be a light to the city of Tempe and the surrounding Tempe, or the surrounding cities, clearly I have a bias, um, the city of Tempe and the surrounding cities is if we see Jesus. Jesus is exactly what Peter is calling us to. In fact, look at verse four. The very beginning, it says, as you come to him, The word come there is not just beginning your faith, but it it carries the idea of a habitual lifestyle, that you're constantly returning to Jesus, that Jesus is not only the means in which we live this out, but he's the motivation. Jesus is also the message. Jesus, Jesus empowers us. We look to Jesus and realize we are men and women who follow him. He gives us the grace to forgive us of our sins, but he also gives the grace to empower us to live this life. And the promise here is if we live this life out, if we live it out in our conduct and our actions, we become a people that understand the gospel and live it out, there will be more people in the seats next to you, not because we need more numbers, but because God decides to set his love on people, and he uses broken people like us to serve them to be a witness in work, in family, in relationships, in schools. Amen? If you could pray with me and act with me that we would be people who would stop looking at ourselves, and our own families, and our own money, and our own time, and realizing everything that we have belongs to Jesus. If we are a people of grace, that means God himself purchased us freely. Now everything he's called of us, he gives us the spirit to do it, but everything we have belongs to him. And so we steward it in such a way to love those in our community, but also love those out of our community. Amen? Let's pray.